This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Episode 327, Three Christian Horror Movies, The Visitation, Three, and House. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend's plumber. Superman. Wonder Woman. Heroes. Villains. Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did so why is he was that he created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Strangers and Aliens, and this one is a spooky horror So much edition. horror. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, this, I don't know if this is, uh, would be considered a challenge episode or if this is just a thematic episode, but uh, we had a listener who has actually been a, a guest on the show before, so he's not just a listener, he's family, but he uh, sent a message and said, hey... I've got three Christian horror movies I'd like you guys to watch that aren't three non non eschatological eschatological yeah eschatological horror anatomy yeah yeah so we'll talk about what that means in just a moment but first uh, John how you doing Um, I'm all right so this is John Uh, how are you uh, eagle eye listeners will know that I already work with you on a different podcast it's true it's true yeah so hey let's go ahead and and promote that right now oh did i plug too early i'm sorry let's let's do it though i mean why not all I right mean, this is uh, our show we can do whatever we want right i i voice nick foster in the norm in the normals in the randoms, the randoms. on a on a supersonic pod comics god i i screwed up my own show that's weird <laughs> yeah it's the randoms and yeah you're the uh antagonistic protagonist is what i would call you on that yeah i i'm the in-between guy and in D &D terms i guess you could call me chaotic neutral uh yeah or just just a little you're working way your way toward chaotic neutral i think because because you do do bad things like yeah you're not just neutral but you're definitely chaotic yeah yeah but uh, yeah, it's uh, the randoms. That's supersonic pod comics at supersonicpodcomics.com. Find us wherever you find your podcasts and hear some fun superhero audio drama storytelling. And yeah, and, and Nick is featured prominently in he, he's one of the one of the three main characters in the randoms, even though he doesn't show up in the the first episode. Yeah, but, but there's a stylistic reason for that in the randoms anyway, because we introduce new characters every episode as they're finding out who randomly has these superpowers. 
That's the name. There's over 40 of us. <laughs> 42 to be exact. And eagle-eyed listeners will know why I chose the number 42. And I know why. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually has to do with uh one of the reasons why I love audio drama so much. So Yeah, but the challenge. Uh, I don't know if <laughs> in some ways you you might you might call it a challenge because it's Christian movies, right? And and Christian movies, everybody knows those aren't good. Well, right? I mean, that's that's just what everybody knows. Well, the ones I've had crammed down my throat by a lot of people are pretty terrible. But I mean, if you, it's like anything else in Christian media. If you, uh, if you go digging long enough, eventually you'll find the uh, the gold buried beneath the dirt. Well, in this case, the other thing was. It was Christian horror, but non-eschatological. We're going to stumble uh, over that word like every time we say it. So we'll, we'll get the beginning of this conversation. We'll get that out of the way and then yeah. and move on. But um, So basically not left behind Omega Code or A Thief in the Night. Right. <laughs> well, I, and I wanted to put it like that because we talk about the things that that are in Christian media that people are like, Ooh, it's so scary. You know, nine times out of 10, they're talking about some sort of end timesy sort of thing and actually have a pretty, a pretty, uh, decent as far as movie wise, Christian horror film that deals with that de- deals with that. That's uh, done in, uh, found footage. Um, oh, really? Called, yeah. It's called uh, the remaining. I actually learned about it. I, I rented it at a red box and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is brilliant. It's they're trying to do this. Christian, except, you know, their their doctrine is completely incorrect and what they're <laughs> saying is completely dramatized and taken way out of context for what's in the Bible. But, you know, but it's found footage. It's, yeah. And it's entertaining. So and so I guess. Uh, but, you know, I, the whole point for what I was trying to do was trying to steer away from the commonly overused and mostly abused genre of eschatology. So. So I had no idea what movies you were talking about. You just said, I have three and I'm going to send them your way. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And so I get uh, three different packages from Amazon. And and one of them, I, 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 oh, I know what this is. My kids are like, what? What did you order, Dad? I was like, I don't know what it is, but I think I know what it is. So sure enough, <laughs> it, was, it was the movies. Uh, they came on, two of them came on the same day. One of them came a little bit later. Quite a bit and later. So the one, the two that I opened were... The Visitation and three, I believe those were the two that came first. Yes, that would be correct. And then the last one that came was House, which I think is a horrible name, by the way. Um, I don't think it fits the movie at all, but we'll talk about that later. But my that has to do with these are all books. Yeah, well, and we'll get to that, too. But my son, my nine year old, he said, Dad, this is a Christian horror movie. He's like, yeah, yeah. It's called House. I said, yeah. That is a great name for a horror movie. (laughs) I hadn't put as much thought into it as you because, uh, okay. But no, I, I, just because it's not really a house. I mean, it is, but it's more a hotel than a house. That's all. That's, that's my only complaint with that. Um, but yeah, they're based on books. And so that was the other kind of interesting thing was this kind of thematic triptych where you have mm-hmm. uh, one is based on a book by 
uh, Frank Peretti. One's based on a book by Ted Decker, and one is based on a book by Frank Peretti and, and Ted, Ted Decker. Decker. <laughs> so I own two of these books. I read half of one of these books, and I was very interested once I started seeing that come through. Another uh, link, they were all produced by Ralph Winter. And Ralph Winter is uh, – so I, I warned John ahead of time. I'm going to drop names in this episode. I have met three people who are involved in these movies, and Ralph Winter is one of them. And Ralph Winter is a producer on Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four, And I can't remember if he went beyond that. He's also a producer on the X-Men movies. And he's also a very strong believer. And so I met him when I went to to my film school, which was a Christian film school. And he told stories before X-Men, actually. And he, but he told stories about meeting Leonard Nimoy the first time and how Leonard Nimoy um, actually chewed him out a little bit in front of everybody else because they came on set and he got really excited. He's like, oh, we can move the the bridge wall here and you can move the cameras in here. And Leonard Nimoy called him. I was like, I am the director on this movie and I am the one who will be doing, making those choices and put Ralph in his place. But it was a power play first day of, of school kind of thing. And when you're the first day of school, you want your, as a teacher, first day of school, you're tough. You're tough. Cause you gotta be set the tone at the beginning, loosen up later. You can't tighten up later. If I got chewed out by Leonard Nimoy, I think that would pretty much ruin my year. Uh, he he died on my birthday of all things too, oh, that's, so that's a that's already one bummer I got from yeah, me with a there's Leonard a connection, Nimoy, but. man, yeah. So, uh, they're also all directed by the same guy, and I really want to know the story about this, but I couldn't find anything about production on these movies, except uh, three was produced first, and then Visitation. And Visitation was not filmed in the States. It was filmed in some of it in Poland, I think. Um, I don't know about Visitation. I know House was filmed in Poland. Yeah, I I think the last two, uh, those two were were both filmed in Europe. Film credits. I mean, it's just you can film cheap and easy uh, in in some of these European countries. And uh, with, with three... I was noticing people's accents were trying to sound American and like the main, the main lead lady was actually, um, I think she's British and every once in a while you could tell, you know, and same with some of these others, uh, it wasn't horrible, but you could tell that they weren't, weren't native Americans who are trying to sound like they are native Americans, not native Americans. I I was just a different, a whole different thing. Sorry. (laughs) Native American English speaking. No, it's still, you guys know what I mean. <laughs> Just imagine that I can hear you making fun of me right now about that. Because I I can't hear you, but I, I'm imagining that you are. So You're going to have so many woke people who are going to start complaining. <laughs> yeah. I, if, if woke people listen to this podcast, I would be – I'd be interested to hear from you actually. <laughs> I would. Yeah. So – I know that's kind of introducing. Uh, oh, the the director of these three movies is I think um, I think his name's Robbie Robbie Henson, and I looked him up, couldn't find much about him. So the whole thing, I'm watching these movies pretty blindly. had I had never seen any of them, and now I'm glad that I have. So, 
so I think we'll talk a little bit about each movie and yeah. talk about uh, just what's good about them and talk about um, what these movies are trying to say, maybe, and talk about what's interesting and talk about what's not so great. So let's just start with Visitation. That's the one I watched first. Okay. I watched all three of these last night to refresh myself oh. on it and write down some <laughs> fresh notes. Nice. So. nice. so Visitation is the Frank Peretti book. That's the one that I've read, I think, about a third of it. I, I don't remember finishing the book. Uh, what's your background with Frank Peretti? Frank Peretti, he is actually from my, quote, area. Um, so he, during the nineties, uh, the mid nineties, he was kind of a big deal around here, uh, right after he put out the oath. Um, it was right about the time that I started dabbling in horror as a, uh, as a genre of any type of media that I was involving myself in and being raised in the church. My mom got all excited cause he was featured in the newspaper about the oath. So she was just like, have you noticed this person? So, um, I really started getting interested in him about in him about the time of the oath. Um, I've read a few of, I've read a couple of his books. I haven't read everything he does. Um, this present darkness I tried to get into and that one was just, it wasn't my bag. So when he tries to incorporate the fantastical in his stuff, that's when I start to kind of check out. But the more straightforward, real, realist works that he does are the ones that really kind of hook me into his stories a bit better. With The Visitation being my favorite of his books that he's written, that I've read. So he started bursting out in with uh, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness in right. the, the late 80s. And that's uh, when uh, Christian youth culture, you know, that's what brought him to my attention was my youth group friends. Hey, have you read this? Have you read this? And and I did, you know, <laughs> and, and I liked it. I liked it quite a bit in high school. Um, the Oath, I believe I was in college when that came out and I, and I read that and I remember really liking that one. I really liked The Oath. Um, and I really liked what it did metaphorically with sin nature and the kind of the supernatural stuff that was going on. And, you know, then he's starting to be, be hailed as like the Christian Stephen King. And uh, I have not read all of Visitation, but I did buy it. <laughs> and I read Prophet. I think Prophet was just before the Visitation. Um, I, I might, might be getting the I'll order wrong there. I was going to say, I want to say Prophet was before the oath, I thought. I think you're right, because the Prophet was published by Crossway. Right. And see, Crossway, there was a point in time in my in high school for me where if Crossway published a fiction book, of a fantasy fiction book, I bought it. Because they were publishing Stephen Lawhead, and they were publishing some other fantasy stuff, and they were publishing, you know, the, the Darkness, the two Darkness books, mm -hmm. and... They were just really kind of hitting perfectly for me uh, that I, I wanted good fiction and I was reading a lot of hard sci-fi. Uh, and so I was also and and you know, like the Terry Brooks and, and different things like that, Isaac Asimov and um, just different fantasy and sci-fi things. And, and Crossway was kind of hitting right in the right spot for me, uh, but giving me something that also went along with what I believed. And, and I, I think Prophet was a Crossway publication and i think i think the oath was word i might be wrong mm -hmm. about that but I, I think you're right that the prophet was before the oath 
I just remember really liking the oath quite a bit. And I, that's the one I have the most vivid memories about, Mm -hmm. um, was, was the oath. And And I think I want to say that the visitation was the follow up to the oath. If I'm remembering right. Yeah, I, I think that that sounds right. We should, we could look it up. I'm sure. I mean, we're both sitting at computers literally, but, um, why would we do that? (laughs) Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the visitation though. The, the movie, um, and so I'm just going to give you my first impression. I felt like I was watching an episode of the X-Files. Uh, production values, lighting, uh, a lot of the stuff here, it felt like X-Files. Um, and that's both good and bad because when I say X-Files, I mean 90s television. Mm-hmm. And so this one, uh, I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, all right. I'm willing to go with this. Um but then there's – oh, by the way, my other name drop, uh, Frank Peretti. I spent some time with Frank Peretti and we talked comic books and we talked about different things like that. And he actually told me, hey, yeah, contact me. Maybe we can see about doing a comic book. And then I contacted him and never heard back from him. But um, I hear that's pretty par for the course actually. Well, the thing I – what I understand about him is he's pretty reclusive. Like he's not – he likes to go and speak but – I don't know if he's like really approachable, but he was such a nice guy when I talked to him, mm-hmm. you know, like, so, well, I mean, when people are out and about, they're not exactly going to be a jerk to people when they're out doing no, public appearances no. though. So, no. And I was in charge of the auditorium. I was the the technical director of the auditorium that he came to speak at. And so afterwards yeah. I was able to spend some time with him and it was kind of fun. Just, we were in the, that airlock area between the two sets of doors in mm-hmm. the entrance, you know, and just standing in there and uh, talking with, with a couple other people from the college we were working at. And it was, it was cool. It was really cool. But, um, yeah. So anyway, that's my second name drop. My third name drop is going to be the most surprising one. So, okay. But we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, okay. So the kid from Terminator two is in this movie. Eddie Furlong. He's or in this Edward movie. As he goes on. I'm watching this movie. I'm just asking myself, who is he in this movie? Who is he in this movie? And as I'm watching, I'm also like, Hey, this Jesus guy in this movie is really good. Like I'm really enjoying his performance, but who is Eddie Furlong in this movie? Uh, but this Jesus guy, he's really, wait a minute. (laughs) It took me looking up while I'm watching the movie to realize the character that I'm the most drawn in by, by the performance is the guy that I'm trying to figure out who is Eddie Furlong in this movie. I'm sure that was a nice surprise. It was, it was really a fun discovery. I'm like, Oh, I see it now. It was hard to see cause he was a kid, you know, when he yeah. did T2 and, and he's in the upcoming Terminator movie. I've heard, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but that'd be a step up from what he's been doing lately. He, <laughs> I don't... he was, he was, he was in one of the crow movies. You know that, right? No, I don't. And that's, he, he was the crow in like the crow four or something like that. Hmm. That's unfortunate. <laughs> I have, <laughs> that's one, that's one franchise that I, I did watch the first one. And because of the first one, I watched the second one. And then I'm like, this is not no. Oh, so you were like 98% of the rest of America. I, with yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. But that last 2% spent enough money that they made what two more. Three more. Uh, I, something like that. <laughs> I thought he was great in this movie. It was just a weird choice. He was not uh, 
he was the perfect choice as you're watching and discovering that this guy is something more because you don't expect him to be much more. And I, I was fascinated by his whole performance. Uh, and then at the end when he really gets to chew the scenery, it was, it was just a fun progression to watch that character mm-hmm. change and gr- not change and grow, but change in your perception of who he is. Right. Um, so the plot of the movie is it's, people start seeing things and they start seeing visions of people and a guy comes into town and he can heal you and he knows things about you. And it turns out he's not who he says he is. And one of the things he says he is, is Jesus. (laughs) And, and Randy Travis is like, no, you're not Jesus. And Randy Travis, another fun surprise. This guy looked awesome. Like I think he could have played the villain. But yeah, I mean, he's just got the stony face, you know, and but uh, he, he plays the the pastor in town who's actually on top of things. Who knows what what the score is? Good old Kyle. Yeah. And then Randy Travis is not playing the character named Travis. <laughs> so nope. And Travis is the main character who is a, a pastor who has lost his faith because he lost his wife to. Um, uh, basically a satanic ritual is what it looked like. And that you, you reached the first point of the movie that I take contention with. What's that? That, okay. So you've only, you haven't read too far into the book, so you may or may not have gotten too far into it, but in the book, well, and if I have, it was when it first came out. So right. we're talking almost 20 years ago, maybe, I don't know. In the book, Travis's wife dies of cancer. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I yeah that would make a lot more they they sense. they did take they did take a lot of creative liberties when they made this book and made the book into the movie um hmm. to the point where I'd say they've cut out probably about 50% of the book um that being said I do enjoy the movie quite a bit on its own merits um and I it, it like I said it's my favorite Frank Peretti book so I enjoy the book just as much as well. But I mean, if, if someone was going to do a book report or try to cheese out on a book report and watch the movie, <laughs> watch the movie you're, instead, you're, you're going to fail. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. You know, I, we haven't talked about how much we want to be able to spoil in this. So we're going to, I think we're going to allow some mild spoilers, but be careful about, I don't know, because when we get to three, we're going to have to spoil things. If we're going to talk about it. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot you can do with, three without talking about things because that movie is just a twisty turny. It is. It is jumble. Okay. Well for this, I want to be careful and, and we'll, we'll say that we're going to spoil something if we really have to step into a spoiler. Um, but the whole satanic ritual thing, I did feel like, especially when they're trying to tie it in at the end, like it felt a little, I don't know. It just didn't feel great as far as how they were going to tie it in and, and work into it. And now it makes a little more sense. That was yeah. Part of it. Interesting. Which is what for me when I, when I, when I, I watched this movie before I read the book. Mm-hmm. And so 
uh, coming from that perspective and going into the book, I kept waiting. I'm like, so when does the whole satanic ritual thing? I'm like, wait, they changed a lot here. Um, and I think that's probably the best if you're if you're going to consume both mediums of the story, I I would advise watching the movie before you read the book. Um, otherwise, if you read the book and then watch the movie, I think you'll uh, you'll end up getting a little bit mad. <laughs> I, I think I probably would if I would have watched it and if I would have gone the other order with the two of them. Well, the other thing is, you know, these movies have been released, but like they're not super common right now. No, that that is true. It, it took me a while to locate a copy of of House to get sent to you. Um, so they aren't as common as they used to be, um, and especially if you're just going to some secular movie store. Uh, these movies were released in the theater, though, when they were uh, put out. Yeah, and the other interesting Not wide thing, release, but I, I'm curious how the Christian stores handle House because that's rated R. It is rated R. Uh, the other two are PG-13. Uh, and they – I wouldn't say they push the PG-13, but they do take it in a place where it definitely earns the PG-13 uh, right. as far as the violence and, and the implications of what's going on and um, Edward Furlong's background to his character uh, pushes, yeah. pushes some limits there. And, and it, they're, they're uh, cringy in the right way. You know, as far right. as like, ooh, that's not good. Not cringy in the, oh, that was embarrassing that they put that on film and released it. Right. Um, which we can ask that question um, later. But Right. Uh, it, it, as far as any Christian bookstores that I've been in, um, I've never seen these on the, on the shelves of any of the Christian bookstores. Um, and I, But I think that has less to do with content, more to do with distributors. Um Right, because three and Visitation were 20th Century Fox. Right. So, I mean, technically, these are Disney movies now. But gross. <laughs> oh. And then uh, uh, House is Lionsgate, which right. that actually felt right. Like I'm, I felt like okay, I'm watching a Lionsgate horror movie right now. Right, right. But the, but I think uh, Ralph Winter's connection with the X Men. Uh, would have been his connection to get them produced by 20th Century Fox. And like I said, I couldn't find any stories behind the scenes, but I could imagine Ralph Winter being like, okay, I'm going to option a book by one of the best-selling Christian authors, and uh, that's going to be a selling point, passion of the Christ. We're going to try and capitalize on that money there. And uh, that's just my imagination of what's going on behind the scenes. I'd, I want to say these were a bit before Passion, though. Well, I think 2006. 2006 was, I think, three and the visitation were 2006 and House was 2008, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And that's the other thing I was trying to find information about, too, because these movies directed by the same guy, produced by at least one of the same people. I haven't looked to see the other ones. Um, and then uh, coming out in the same year. They both came out in 2006. So I was just wondering how much overlap was there in the uh, in the in the creation of these movies. Well, there's some there's definitely some uh, background actor overlap. Uh, the the uh, the reporter in the visitation is one of the uh, people who work in, work with the police in three. If you caught that. No, I didn't. I didn't catch that at all. Uh, Passion is 2004. 
Oh, was it now? Yeah. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that these two movies at the very least and all three possibly were, um, part of the passion effect. Okay. Where we're going to try and catch those, uh, flyover state Christian dollars. (laughs) I mean, literally that's what it, it was is they realized, Oh, people in the Midwest actually have money. People in the Midwest actually want to see movies that reflect their values. And we, we don't have those values, but we want that money. So let's go for it. Uh, And Ralph winter would have been in the right place at the right time to do all of that. So I'm I'm grateful for it. I enjoy all three of these. So with visitation, I was pleasantly surprised. I did not know what to expect. And as I started watching, there was that vibe of, of X-Files and, but a big part of it was lighting and tone and even setting somewhat where you have like the barn set up for the uh, revival meeting, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually a little bit nervous because there is going to be a revival meeting type of scene in the randoms uh, coming up in the next two episodes of the randoms. And now I'm afraid people are going to think that I stole it (laughs) from this. Uh, I did not. I did not. That was the plan all along for me was, to do those revival scenes, uh, the revival, revival meeting scenes. Um, but you'll just have to wait and find out what that's all about. Even you, John, are going to have to wait and find out what that's all about. Well, to, to everybody out there in listening land, I don't know what happens going forward with our characters. We don't see the scripts until probably about two weeks prior to recording. So this is all news to me. Yeah. And it's intentional. Um, I gave the actors the option or mostly I don't know if I gave you that option, John, to know did, like and- what's happening with the character, what's going to happen. But I give it with the caution of, you know, I think it'd be nice for you to discover it as it goes along. Well, so. and I, I started out with uh, supersonic because I don't come in until the second episode of the randoms. Anyway, I started out with supersonic listening as a fan and I'm like, I don't want to have the series spoiled for me. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying listening to these as they come out. And I'm like, so, so when you gave me the option, I'm like, no, just give it to me, you know, as what, it comes, yeah, as it comes. So that then that way I, I can kind of in, still enjoy the randoms episodes in sequence. Well, I just feel like I had to throw it out there because I didn't want people – not that people have seen the movie. But um, if you've seen the movie or read the book, I didn't want you thinking, oh, well, Ben just saw that movie and now he's copying. I'm not. I'm not. I'm riffing on the same thing that, that Peretti was riffing on. But Now, something my wife pointed out to me about this movie that I didn't pick up – I didn't really catch until watching it last night with her uh the vibe that i really that she picked up on that i really attached to was this movie actually reminds me more of like a uh, christian version of needful things the stephen king story yeah yeah i haven't read it no oh. i think i saw it yeah the years terrible ago, movie but... in from the <laughs> 90s yeah i this is definitely the weakest of the three to me though Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yep. Um, Strongest story, weakest storytelling, uh, except for Eddie Furlong, who just, he comes on the scene and you're just like, what is it with this guy? Is he a little, there's something off. At first I wondered, does he have like a a cognitive disability? You know, is he mentally handicapped? Um, And they're like, nope, nope, not at all. You know, he's, he's on top of things. And then like, okay, 
how does he have this special knowledge and what is the special power? And then, and then he starts, you know, doing the more like the Jesus thing. And it's really interesting. And then at the end, you know, he's able to start chewing the scenery and you're just like, wow. Okay. This guy, this guy, I like him. I like him a lot. Too bad he's he's, in the crow. (laughs) (laughs) He's super good at the end, but I do have to say the end of this movie was not good. I mean, like how they how they resolved it. Oh, definitely. It, yeah. it was it was so corny. And I'm like, oh, you guys did so good with this movie, in my opinion, up until this point. And that's what you do with it. I mean, it, it doesn't ruin the movie, but it's just like it comes close. Yeah, <laughs> it comes close. It does. It does. But I was willing to go with it because I the movie was good enough that it took me on the journey to that ending. I'm willing to take the ending for what it was and and just live with it, you know, because that's what they did. OK, <laughs> you, you know, then I would I would highly I would highly advise you now that you've seen the movie to, uh, to finish the book because there's so much to unpack with that book. And when you read that book, you're like, you'll see that the movie was just kind of an hors d'oeuvre. And then the <laughs> actual the actual novel itself is just a feast because it it. it it focuses on the story in Antioch, which is the town that the uh, movie takes place in. But it also deals with the past, the pa- uh, Travis Jordan's past from his teenage life leading up to that. It does a split timeline like Stephen King likes to do a lot in his mm-hmm. books. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it, 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 it's definitely worth worth the time to put into that book. It's a, it's a long, it's a longer book. It's about 550, 560 pages. Yeah, it was but, a hefty hardcover. The, the yeah. copy that I have. It's, it's, it's super good though. Um, uh, I re I, I, I read it probably at least once a year. Huh. Uh, and I think that this book or the story from this movie anyway, for me, I could definitely see why people were, were wanting to say it's the Christian Stephen King. He's not as prolific as Stephen King because Stephen King would have shot out like eight books in the time that it would have taken for Peretti to do one. But so true. Um, he, he's not as prolific, but he definitely, you know, he he's creating these, you know, the small town place and the the spiritual, supernatural and, you know, antagonism that actually has a, you know, at first you think it's it's uh, it's benevolent, you know, or you're supposed to. Uh, if you've watched movies before, you know, okay, if you've watched movies before, <laughs> I, this is not a good guy. You know, it's, it's not a good person. Although they set it up with the visions of these three other guys mm-hmm. where it, as I started watching the movie, I'm wondering, okay, is it, are the three, are those three guys, the bad guys, or is this one guy, the bad guy? And, and so there was a little bit of a, Hmm, which, which is it, you know? And, but if you've seen any movie before, you know, this guy, he's going to be the bad guy. You know, he's going to end up not being what he seems. The difference is in a Stephen King story or in a secular movie story, he turns out to be uh, bad because there is no good. You know, like he's, yeah. you know, or, or the good that is out there is just the good that's in men's hearts kind of thing. Uh, they definitely, you know, in this, the, God is real, you know, and and good in the world comes from him. And this is, you know, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of story, like a Stephen King story might be. Um, mm-hmm. Although there is the stand where 
God is real and the hand of God literally comes out of nowhere to, to save the world. <laughs> now I, I hadn't read the book of the, of the stand, but I'd seen the miniseries, the miniseries, and I did not see a hand of God in that. So I'm going to take you at your word on that. Well, it's, you rewatched at least the end that, that, that final climax scene in Las Vegas. It's, it's just out of nowhere. And yeah, I, Hey, it fits with my worldview. God's out there, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and, and so like in this, you know, definitely, you know, there's evil and there's good and, and good is people who are trying to follow God and trying to, uh, you know, do the right thing. And you have all the different pastors, the, the denominational meeting of the town pastors. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of funny uh, and kind of cringy again, not cringy in the, I can't believe they put that on film, but cringy in the, yeah, this, this is, is so true. Sign of kind of real life. That. <laughs> but at least they got along, you know, they're teasing each other and they're ribbing each other and they're yeah. teasing each other about their doctrinal beliefs. Uh, but it's all like in good fun, you know, right. it's not like they're not, they're not getting in the you know, heated arguments about it. It's, it's just these little jabs and stuff that, that the person who made the jab is laughing and the person who received the jab is laughing. And they're all pretty much together on things as far as we're all on the same side. Uh, <laughs> oh, that, that's something that Preddy does a lot in, in the story of this, both in the movie and, and in the, the book it, itself um, for the church going crowd, there's a lot of in jokes uh, just for certain characters that are in the story that uh, fall into certain um, personality archetypes that you see within the church world. Uh, and it's, it's quite amusing. For instance, uh, Brett Hinkle's wife, uh, or Brett Hinkle being the, uh, police officer in this, uh, in this movie, his wife, the ultra charismatic lady who, uh, Kind, oh, of yeah, yeah. kind of, kind of o- over utilizes the church to be seen being holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the notes I wrote down. Like, if you've gone to church for any amount of time, you've met somebody who is like this character. Yeah. And, and that's a situation where you have the bad guy basically using the, these things that are at the surface of the character. You know, he was able to. Oh, absolutely. And, and yeah, it just is it the best movie in the world. No. Is, no. it, is it the best movie I've watched this month? No, I've watched two better movies this month that we're going to talk about. You know, I also watched Alien this month. So, no, it's not the best movie I've watched this month. But was it a waste of my time? Absolutely not. Like, I, I enjoyed it. I I don't know when I would watch it again. Um, I might. I, I was trying to decide, is this something like with The Sixth Sense? That was one that I'm like, I, I got to watch this with my kids. I think they'll enjoy it. You know, with this, I'm I'm not sure that I would. My kids were asking me, "Is this going to be what we watch next Halloween?" After you watched them to preview them this month, I'm like, I don't know. I, I just don't know. But, what I can say, um, myself being a former youth pastor, it works really well with youth ministry for older teens, especially the ones that are starting to uh, starting to uh, develop a taste in the horror genre. Um, I, it was a, an excellent tool for me to kind of lead them in the right direction to try to pursue better thought out alternatives for mm-hmm. their age group. Well, and they definitely, you could see they were going for that youth group age group with uh, just some of the other, you know, peripheral characters, but you know, it starts out with a bunch of teenagers and uh, an accident and, and uh, you've got the, 
the the son of the the female lead who mm-hmm. um, has an interesting arc. But yeah, in the in the book, he thinks that he's John the Baptist. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He's well, he's the he's the voice crying in the wilderness, and he yeah. They really didn't have time to do that in the movie, though. Oh like, no! Like you they're, can they're, see, you can see traces of that for sure, though. Now that you say that, uh, Frank Peretti. I, I do believe that, especially from from the oath forward, uh, Frank Preddy really paces himself and writes very in line with how Stephen King writes. Um, in the, and I would in that if you were to really unpack it and give his books the due that they deserve to really unfold the entire story that he tells in his books, it doesn't do justice to put it in a in a movie format you almost have to do the miniseries because most of Stephen King's books that he puts into movies don't work uh whereas if you put them into a miniseries format they tend to come out quite a bit better in my opinion oh well, yeah because there's just you have characters who are intertwined with each other and once you start pulling characters out you're pulling out these threads for the characters you're leaving in and and the, yeah, with time, I mean, I can see because they he he's one of the pe- first people who has a vision that, that says he's coming. Tell people he is coming. And so th- but they really didn't do much with that, with, right. with that kid. So. All right. Well, anything else you want to say about visitation before we move on to talk about three? Um, no, other than the fact that I think Dennis Quaid would have made a better Travis Jordan. No. <laughs> I I could see that. I could see it. I the lead character here I was not the most charismatic character for me. But he did a good job. He did a decent job. But I could see and you know the first person that comes to mind for me when you say that would be someone like a Bill Pullman. Who's a everyday every man? Oh, we're having we're having Skype problems, Ben. I heard absolutely nothing you said after that comes to mind for me. You didn't hear me say Bill Pullman? I uh, no, I did not until just now. Yeah, Bill Pullman is the person that I think of. But yeah, let's move on to three. All right, let's move on to three. So three is the movie by Ted Decker, who is I've read one book by him. And it was not this. It was green, I think. Ooh, the Circle Trilogy. Yeah. And the reason I read it was because it was um, something that I was potentially going to be able to do a comic book script based on that. And it actually didn't go to me. It went to someone else. But that's the reason I read it. Um, And I knew of him. But, yeah, so this, this book, I knew nothing about it. I had no idea what to expect from this movie. And if we're going to talk about this movie, uh, if if the last one was a Stephen King style, this feels like an M. Night Shyamalan style. I could see that kind of thing. Um, straight down to the flashbacks to the stuff you might have missed when we start revealing the twist. Yeah. You know, uh, but I don't know how to get around it with with spoilers. Uh, well. We will clearly say that we're going to talk about spoilers, but um, first, what's your experience with with uh, Ted Decker? Uh, Ted Decker. All right. Um, I got excited about actually I got excited about the book House um, 
when I heard it was coming out because all I knew about it was the title and it was being written by Frank Peretti. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, Frank Peretti's going to write a haunted house style horror novel. And he's doing it with this other guy named Ted Decker. That's cool. Uh, spoilers. Uh, it is not a haunted house style mo- style book, but it's still worth uh, reading. Anyway, uh, so I wanted to find out more about Ted Decker. Uh, first thing I grabbed actually was Green uh, back when the Circle oh, Trilogy okay. was still a trilogy. Um, and I read it. I enjoyed it. And wait, I wait, proceeded. Green, Green was the fourth book, though, right? Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I'm stupid. Yeah. Uh, Black. Black was the one I read. Because Green – I, I was trying to figure out what's the deal here and I couldn't green. appreciate a lot of stuff that was going on in it because it was like a it's, trilogy it's the, and then green was kind of the circle thing where it's kind of tying. And I, I, I couldn't appreciate some of the, the nuances there. Green green was the prequel that he wrote after the trilogy was that's, that's right. Um, I, I'm sorry. It was black. And the reason why I called black green is because black had the green cover. <laughs> Yeah, because green had the white cover. That's correct. Yeah. And uh, white had the black cover, if I remember right. And yeah, it it's weird. Um, <laughs> at, but any at any rate, if, if you get if you get the chance to read the Circle Trilogy, I, I especially if you're into the fantasy genre, I would recommend it. It uh, it does a dual timeline within it. Um, the, basically, this this guy bounces back and forth between two alternate realities, between the reality we live in and then uh, kind of a fantastical reality that's a little bit um, takes uh, certain ideas and makes them very literal um, throughout the book. Uh, if I can't explain it much beyond that, um, but it's uh, do you rec- it's, you recommend it though, right? I, highly, yeah, highly. Okay. Um, so at you least don't need the to say any more. I haven't, yeah. read, I, haven't, I haven't, I haven't actually read green. I only read uh, uh, black, red, and white. Uh, so that was my first experience in that. And I'm like, hey, this guy's kind of interesting. I'm going to read some of his other books. Um, and I read The Showdown and Skin and uh, Three. Um, and I found out that, oh, the Circle Trilogy is not really his typical M.O. He's more into the whole thriller, random killer in a town, trying and uh, incorporate God into the story somehow with subtle supernatural inclinations. Uh, so, yeah, that that's kind of how it went. It just kind of came from my love for Peretti and uh, his crossover that he does on House. Okay, so three the book, three the movie. Uh, how are they similar? Oh gosh, they're so similar. Okay, right. if, if you've seen the movie, you've read the book. Okay, all right, and and that's good to know because this feels really self-contained. It feels it, it feels like it's a legitimate story. It probably, I'm assuming, then the book doesn't have as many characters as like a Stephen King book because oh no, you're able to easily you know just hone in on them, but. Uh, we're going to have to talk spoilers, so I'm just going to warn you now, and this way, with the warning now, um, we don't have to say spoiler every time we say something about a spoiler. Okay, so uh, as we start talking about the plot and stuff like that, just just know um, it's an old movie. You know, it's over 10 years old, but I mean, the we're allowed to talk spoilers, I think because of the age if you haven't seen it yet uh and maybe i don't know it's like knowing the twist to the sixth sense ahead of time 
before you go and see the movie. Um, and I will say before anybody out there is like, ah, well, I, I can't see the movie because it's super hard to uh, it's super hard to get a hold of. Um, you can still stream it on uh, Amazon. It's available there. It is. So if you want to see it, you don't want to have the movie spoiled. Yeah. There, okay. there's, it, I, th- I do believe that these movies are available on the streaming services, the, not the free ones. Like if you have a Netflix subscription or something like that, you, you can't uh, can't watch it on there. But if you want to pay for uh, rental, um, I do believe it's on Amazon. And I think they may even have it on the PlayStation Network as well. OK. All right. Well, that's that's good. Um so potentially you could just turn off the podcast right now, go rent it on, on Amazon. And I'm checking to see three. There it is. Oh, house is on Amazon. I think you can rent it there. But anyway, but um, given, given that you did mention that it's probably property of Disney now, it may, they may have revoked the rights so they can have it on Disney Plus. <laughs> I don't think they're going to put this on Disney Plus, although it may end up on Hulu. Uh, uh, because Hulu is going to be where a lot of the um, harder edge stuff that they have is, is I think, going to get dumped to Hulu because they have a two thirds share in Hulu right now. That is news to me. Yeah, so Hulu was owned by Fox, Disney, and NBC Universal. Oh, they had a three-way split, and so with the purchase, uh, the three-way split moved to a uh, two-thirds Disney, one-third NBC Universal. I see. And so I, I have a feeling that we're going to see like I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, like the Alien movies show up on Hulu, and there's talk about now an Alien streaming, uh, you know, season. That might show up on Hulu. Oh, gross. Um, but the the point is they're not going to put Alien or Aliens on Disney Plus because that's just not the, the vibe they're going for. Uh, Disney Plus, I, I'm, my expectation is that Disney Plus is going to be PG-13 lower. All right. And then Hulu is where some of the R-rated fare can go. So anyway, um, yeah, so – I'm just putting it out there right now. We're going to talk about the movie and we're just not going to, we're not going to warn about spoilers anymore. It's just the warning has been put out there. But that said, my first impression of this movie watching it was, I felt like it was a stronger, there's stronger direction happening in this movie. And then as I was watching it, um, I did look up to see who is the director of this thing. And then I noticed, Oh, same director as, as uh visitation. And so this is me now wondering, okay, does he have a a different director of photography or is it just he's getting a stronger sense? Because it is a different feeling movie too. Like very true. The visitation feels one way. This is that kind of gritty um, city, you know, where it's, 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 it's in a city and the, the lights are more harsh and and you have a lot more different color palette going on, whereas Visitation had a very natural color palette, and that really fit the tone of the movie. Where you it was, you know, this rural area, and you know they're out there on farms and stuff, and it's just a very natural feeling to the color. Uh, with this one, it's very harsh, and it's it's less natural and more, you know, blues and reds, and and actually in house you're going to get more of that. But yeah, um, 
and so you're, you're watching a crime drama unfold and, and I'm wondering, okay, is there a supernatural element to this? And, um, but that's, that's my, my first feeling as I, as I'm watching this is I feel like we're getting, it was a step up in direction. And then I'm feeling like, okay, this is actually not just a step up in direction. I think this is a director who is growing because he's got, he's getting experience under his mm-hmm. belt with each movie. And yeah, so that's my, my first impressions of the tone and of the, of all that. Um, but then the storyline, well, what, what's your first impressions Let's, let, before we get to the story? Um, well, I'm just going to put it out there. This is the least horror of all three of these movies. Um, and I, th- I think when the first time, the first time I saw this movie, I, I think that kind of put me off because I, again, saw the movie before I read the book. Um, and I, I was expecting something that it wasn't. Um, so, <laughs> and then as you're but, watching it, you're expecting one thing, and it's turning into another thing. That that's very true. And then but, it turns into another thing, and then you realize, oh no, wait, actually, it's that other thing, but even worse than you thought it was. Right, and and even slightly more interesting. So, uh, you know, that, that was my that was my first impression. I'm like, ah, this is almost in thriller territory, and and that was that. Watching it, watching it last night, and taking into account uh, what the timeline was, I'm like, this is very much a movie of the period that it was made. Because when this came out, was when movies like this were super big, at least yeah. in in what was being put out. You know, with movies like Along Came a Spider and The Bone Collector and along those movies. So this kind of fit right in with all those that were just kind of being cranked out at the time. And you can definitely tell that the director really wanted you to think, wanted you to be reminded of the movie seven, especially at the onset yes. of this movie. Yes, very much. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that's probably. I was grasping for like, OK, so what is he actually trying to make? You know, what's the analog? You know, what's he aping here? And I, I don't think he's necessarily aping seven, but you definitely you feel like he wants to make seven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good call. Uh, so the story <laughs> is there's a riddle killer out there. They call him RK, the RK. And he's this movie's jigsaw. Yep. Yeah. That's the other thing. Both this and house actually have a, a kind of saw vibe to me. I haven't seen the saw movies, though. So when I say there's a saw vibe, it's what I, it's my perception of what I think the saw vibe is. So he's giving people riddles and he's going to kill you because he's watching you and he knows everything you're saying and doing. Um, He kills a uh, police profiler's brother because he's angry at the profiler for a book she wrote that really does not put the whole serial killer psyche doesn't give it the the respect it's due. It's, It's all wrong. It's I don't know how I feel about this motivation here, but suddenly it goes different and he doesn't kill his next victim. What are you thinking as you're watching? Like where, where do you think this is going? Um, I honestly didn't know where it was going. Uh, g- given that, you know, I didn't have much background with the story when I first saw this. Um, I was, uh, you know, again, when I, when I first saw this movie, I was again, look uh, still a youth pastor at the time. And I was kind of looking for more thing, more things I could recommend to my students. 
So I, I was just kind of like, um, okay, well, we started out with blowing this guy up and then this other guy, not so much. I don't know. Okay. So it starts getting into the motivation though of who the killer might be. And it's starting right. to cross the line for me, you know, cause I, my feeling about coincidence in storytelling is, and it's not just coincidence. I think it goes a little bit broader than that, but, but for me, just sticking with that coincidence in storytelling, you're allowed a coincidence to get things going, but you really shouldn't hang everything on a coincidence. And coincidentally, the riddle killer is possibly this boy who was a peeping Tom on this girl that was uh, a friend, but not a girlfriend, but a friend of, of this other kid. And, and this other kid grew up and now he's the new guy that the, that the arcade guy is, is kind of taunting and going after. And I'm just like, that's a pretty heavy coincidence to me. You know, right. so you have this kid and you have this whole thing going on and I'm not knocking the movie yet because, you know, you get one big coincidence, you know. Um, but then what threw me with this whole movie was his family. <laughs> and, and so you're watching and you're just like, oh, it's just this guy. He's doing this thing. And then he goes home. He hasn't been home in a while. And his family are these weirdly dressed oddball characters who I don't I don't know what's going on at this point. Like, I feel like it's, now, it's just like a mishmash of a whole bunch of stuff that's just happening. Now, you may you may remember at the beginning of the episode, I had mentioned that for the Ted Decker involved movies, there's a lot of Rob Zombie crossover. Uh, and his family is actually is actually uh, where some of that crossover starts to happen, because one the way that that family is set up is very much in line with uh, how Rob Zombie would build his characters as far as especially for the, the setting that the family's put into in this movie. Just with the whole. Crazy, but not so crazy that they can't fit in with society. Right. They, they just don't really go into society. They don't fit in society. So they just they're in their own their own world it's really interesting the way that they set up this whole idea of they created their own world. And I'll also say this, like if you're going to throw a weak connection on this, you know, mm -hmm. this is a movie about how bad homeschooling is. Like <laughs> that's like, you could take that whole like thing and be like, Hey, this is a warning about homeschooling. I say that maybe mostly because I'm intimately familiar with homeschooling because <laughs> we homeschool our kids, but, right. um, but <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, they're just setting themselves away from society. They can go into society if they need to buy groceries or whatever. Um, but they're also kind of setting up their own world, cutting out newspaper articles, cutting people out of pictures of newspaper articles, creating their own narrative of what's going on around them in the world. And that's right. a really interesting idea that they play with there. Also, uh, real quick, just to trace back to what I was saying about Rob Zombie bleed over uh, the the his aunt. Uh, I just remember her as princess. I don't remember Belinda, her actual I name. Is, Belinda, that's yeah. right. Um, she, the the actress that plays her in this movie, was also a character in The Devil's Rejects. So that's, uh, and then Bill Mosley, who's in this movie, um, being as spoilers are out there, who who plays the Riddle Killer, 
Um, he is also in all three of that trilogy that, that has that Rob Zombie did as well. So, uh, there's, there's a few actors mm-hmm. in, in, in this and in house who, uh, have been in Rob Zombie movies to get that, uh, kind of lend a little bit more horror credence, uh, yeah, horror absolutely. Cred, yeah. uh, to, uh, this and house. So that was another thing that kind of attracted me to these movies as well. So you have his family. And that's really oddball. And then you have um, the killing stuff going on. And it's like, how does this all fit together? And I'm wondering how it's all going to fit together. It does, though. It all fits together. And it's not a coincidence. Like the RK guy being uh, that boy from his past. It's not a coincidence because... He is the boy from the past because and I said we weren't going to say spoilers anymore, but this is the big spoiler. I was about to say, you're just going to give it all away. I am. We can't talk about it without giving it all away because the primary theme is the idea of this kind of creation of these personalities that are kind of able to take on like this, the evil of his personality of his, of him. And so the main character is the killer and the main character is also this is what threw me because they set it up where it's like wait a minute they're setting up so he's the killer and oh there's they say things like we couldn't find the cell phone that he called you on well because he didn't you know and the bomb went off in your car he should have killed you but he didn't well that's because he couldn't because if the bad guy kills him then the bad guy's dead too. You know, <laughs> it's just this whole idea. Uh, but then the movie's going, you're like, Oh, they're setting it up that he's it. Oh, interesting, but a little cliche, but interesting. And then no, Oh no, there's two sets of shoes that she can see under the door. Clearly there's two people there. It's not him. And then no, actually it is. <laughs> and, and she's him too. Yeah, He's also the girlfriend. Like it's, and and you realize that the girlfriend has not been seen by anybody and it's all in his head and it's kind of the good and the evil within him tugging, playing tug of war with him. And, you know, so then you have that final standoff. The only thing I didn't like about the final standoff is a lot of the stuff was imaginary, like the cell phone, I think, would have been an imaginary item that, that, that he got called on, you know, and the, these burner phone kind of things that are just showing up, you know, and. Um, and the book that had the cell phone in it is gone because his girlfriend, who's an insurance adjuster, took it with her. Well, she didn't take it with her. She couldn't take it with her. She's not real. So he, she could it, it, it never was there you know, kind of thing. Um, but the guns were real like he's. And so he's as the bad guy is holding a gun up against the girl. It's actually him holding a gun up to his own head. And then the cop comes, the profiler, rather, and he's holding another gun on her. Those are real. Uh, and I'm just, OK, well, you got to I mean, how else are you going to get that that climactic tension? But right. um, but then the way they set it up where. As the bad guy lowers his gun, it's actually him lowering his gun and the way they set up that arm movement worked really well. Uh, I'll agree with that. It just OK, yeah, I can go with this. And yeah, but I. There's no way to talk about this because the theme of this movie that just grabbed me by the end was just this idea of these two things within him. It's not a great picture of multi-personality 
disorders, you know, that, that you, you no. hear about, you know, but it's a great picture of the sin nature war within kind of thing. And I can't remember if it was in this movie or if it was in, in visitation where they actually say something like, you know, the only way you can win that war is, and, and then someone says like, you know, personal will or something like that. And the other guy goes, no God, it's God. Like, that's the only way. But, oh um, no, he, it, yeah, that, that was, that was at the end of three. And she was like, okay. we all need the power of Samantha, which yeah. is the name of the girlfriend character. Right. And and he's like, no God, you know, and, it, and that's, it, it just, the metaphor, the theme, it all clicked together for me. This is, and that's why I say like the ending of this movie, storytelling wise, this is be- a much better movie than, than visitation. Um, and so I think we're building and, and getting better with, with this movie. Uh, <laughs> the one fun thing for me, because I've written scenes like this is you have the college scene at the beginning. Let's talk about the themes of what we're going to talk about in this movie. <laughs> and, okay. you know, let's, mm-hmm. and, I mean, that's what they're doing in the college scene is like, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing a thesis about the nature of evil. And that's going to be my, my research paper for the end of this, you know, course or whatever, as he's doing his PhD in theology. And yeah, let's set up the themes by saying them out loud right now. <laughs> and, and then at the end, the priest, uh, the professor priest shows up again. And um, yeah, since we spoiled everything, I'm just going to go ahead and ask you what you thought about the whole bit at the end where when she comes to talk to him at the very, very end and she sits down beside him, he looks up and says, okay, I'll talk to you later, Samantha. And he looks over at her and is like, haha, just kidding. <laughs> uh, that like, that, that no. reminded me of something, but I couldn't <laughs> put my finger on what. Uh, it, it reminded me of a really tasteless joke that he should not have told. Like character wise, <laughs> the dude should have known better than, than to tell that joke because those personalities within him were holding guns on her. You know, like there's right. I, I don't know if I would go go into that joke if I was him. But yeah, uh, I've talked a lot. What about you? What do you uh, what are your thoughts here then? Um, what are your notes on on three? Really, I, I like I've seen this movie several times. I Watching it last night, I enjoyed it the most because I knew what I was I knew what to expect going into it. Um, and I was trying to just kind of watch it more with a critical eye. And I, I did feel that it was a, as far as movie making was concerned, it was a stronger movie. You can definitely tell they had a bigger budget in it with how many explosions yeah. are in it. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of big explosions. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this is, this is almost a Christian action movie, action thriller maybe. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's enjoyable if you want to turn your brain off a little bit, because there's definitely some plot holes that are in it. Like, how did he build this com- this compound underneath this garden shed, like, and no one noticed? Yeah, you know, just just thing, things like that that really kind of made me scratch my head when I was thinking about it last night. Uh, but you know, it's not a bad movie by any because I've seen Christian bad movies. I'd be the first person to tell you which ones are bad. But um, no, this yeah, is, this is standard. You know, it, it's the kind of thing that if you're watching it, like I, I enjoyed watching it again. I probably don't see myself revisiting it. Um, <laughs> just I, I know all the twists now and and I enjoyed thematically what was going on. And the performances were not cringy. Um, again, the lead. I think they could have gotten someone a little 
uh, maybe a better actor to play the lead, but he still did a great, a good job. You know, it's a serviceable movie. Yeah. It's not bad, but I could see areas where it could be better, I guess is what I was trying to say. Yeah. Well, that that's definitely true. <laughs> um, the other interesting thing is because he is the killer, he is the bad guy and he is, you know, guilty, but um, by way of insanity, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they talk about how the real villain gets off and it's Belinda. Right. Who abused him and who kind of when she pushed him and abused him, that's what cranked out these 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 other personalities, you know, that, right. that are at war within him. Um, well, and, I'll tell you this much. I like of all the performances in this movie. Hers was my favorite. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Especially the when the uh, when the uh, profiler lady goes and visits visits her by by herself and she starts. uh that lady starts chewing the scenery, especially when she's like, the best way to raise a child is to isolate him. Uh-huh. And then, you know, whatever she said, and then she just rakes her hands down those newspapers and then he shines like diamonds. And I'm like, <laughs> just the look she's giving, I'm just like, oh, the whole bizarreness of the scene. And, and that, that that's something I should put out there. I, I'm a sucker for bizarre imagery. I, I love it. That's that. I think, I think that's what draws me to horror. The horror genre the most is just the bizarre. It's just bizarre imagery that, and the fact that I think that the horror genre has the best potential to show, to show uh, a dynamic presentation of, uh, of either good vanquishing evil or redemption. Mm-hmm. But that's a, that's a podcast in and of itself. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's the, it's the bizarre and strange imagery that, that, that shows up when she's around that really just mm, love it. Can't get enough of it. And she does it so well. Well, she, and she definitely throws herself into the part. Yeah. Like absolutely throws herself into the part. Uh, the profiler does a really good job too. I, I liked her. She, every once in a while you're like that accent, you know, she's, she's English, but not American English. You know, right. King's English is happening here. Um, she's trying to push that away because she's trying to sound like us, uh, us Americans who don't know how to talk English. But, um, yeah. Uh, okay. So anything else about three before we jump into our third in this uh, Christian horror trip tech trilogy kind of thing? Uh, no, I think I've pretty much said everything I have to say about it. It's, it's the one that I had the least amount of thoughts about. Okay. Which is the reason why I recommended it for anybody who wants something that can kind of turn their head off a little bit while they're watching. And yet, in some ways, this is the one I had the most amount of thoughts about. Um, because I I really just – once I started – once I got to the end and realized what was happening, I realized, OK, so this is thematically what they're trying to say. And, uh, and, it, and it worked. It worked. Uh, not the greatest. Not the greatest movie I've seen this month. But – not the worst. Okay, so House. I own this book. I have held it in my hands a number of times as I've been moving books on my shelf. <laughs> I have not read it, though. I've just not gotten around to it. Uh, and it really Again, intrigued it's... me. Uh, it intrigued me because for the same reason I think it intrigued you. It was a Peretti thing. And then here's this Ted Decker that I've heard of. And I don't think I paid for it. I think my dad gave it to me. It's a really good book. I read it in two days. So I'm, I I may look into reading that. I've got a pretty big stack of stuff that I'm reading, and it, it's slow moving. Um, 
so I don't know when I would get to it, um, especially now that I've seen the movie. So if I'm writing a book report based on this movie, am I uh, going to fail? Pro- you'd probably get a C. OK. All right. That's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, <laughs> so. We've talked already about uh, Fred, uh, not Fred Decker. Fred Decker is a completely different person. That's the director of the the Predators. Um, and okay, so this movie. Then, did you read the book first or watch the movie first? That I did. I did read. I did read the book first. I actually bought the book the day it, the, the day it came out. Um, and then I found out if you if you look at the uh, one of the back pages of the hardcover, it mentions coming as a movie soon but you know the whole coming soon but not telling you when and so that's when i went into obsession about this movie and i was following all the production and then i was planning on having a youth group trip with some of my youth group members that were old enough at the time to go see it well that was the first thing is i was shocked that it was rated r uh just because you know thinking a christian a book, I mean, a movie based off of a book by Frank Preddy or Ted Decker would be rated R. It didn't strike me as that could be a possibility. Not thinking about how the deaths in previous Frank Peretti books would probably be portrayed on a on a cinema screen, especially the one at the very beginning of The Oath. Um, so I followed it for a long t- while, and actually, this is this is the. Uh, the, I used to be a lot more brazen individual when I was younger, if you, <laughs> if you, if you'd believe it. Um, and, uh, when they finally put the movie out, it was a limited release and I was shocked that, you know, it wasn't me coming anywhere within 200 miles of where I live. So I, I wrote kind of an agitated note to the production company <laughs> and uh they forwarded that they forwarded that along they answered me but then they forwarded it along to uh Ted Decker himself and he wrote me an email back really <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so my my only interaction with an author that i appreciate was one of me complaining oh. and being uh, irritated and him just kind of trying to placate me and i'm like that's not really how i wanted to make my first impression with you <laughs> Well, the good thing is he probably won't remember your name. So if you ever oh, interact pro- with him again, just don't mention the, the email until you're good friends. Right. And then when you're you, you can laugh over it when you're good friends with him. But um, this movie came out in 2008. The book came out in 2006. So that's when those other two movies came out. So that's kind of an interesting uh, timeline there. But again, same director uh, as the other as the other two, Robbie Henson. And Ralph Winter is here as a as a producer. And. Yeah, so we've got this is the only one that actually had an actor I recognized. By name uh, and by face, so Eddie Michael Furlong, Madsen? I recognized, but um, what, what'd you say? Michael Madsen. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm going to drop my third name. I shared an elevator with Michael Madsen once. <laughs> really? I did at, at uh, uh, Chicago. Uh, wizard world at the time and yeah we were in the same hotel same floor he was actually in the room across from me in the hotel and we get on the elevator the elevator was not working well it would not stop level with the floor it would stop open the doors and then go down another 12 inches to be level with the floor and we all got on the elevator and 
we're all joking. He and the woman he was with and me and my the guy I was sharing the hotel room with. And we're all joking about the elevator. And he says something like, uh, you know, I was in a movie once where I died that way, where a door opened and the elevator wasn't there. And and I was like, yeah, that's great. That's great to be known as the guy who was in a movie about that. But I don't want to be known as the guy who was on Fox News because I did that. And <laughs> he laughed and thought it was a great joke. And uh, and then we got to our our floor. We all walked to our rooms. He I went to mine. He went to his across the hall from mine. Um, and then you just smelled cigarette smoke coming. I, I, I don't know if I was smelling anything else coming out of that room, but basically he was going to have to pay an extra $200 because they were not smoking rooms. Oh, so. The fact of the matter is, his homeboy looks like he'd be the Marlboro man. I mean, especially in this movie, but yeah. yeah. So that might've been actually before this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I mean, I knew him because of, of uh, Tarantino, you know, I mean, that's, that's how okay, I knew now, of him. I have to ask which Tarantino movie reservoir dogs or kill bill. I had, I don't though Kill Bill wasn't a thing yet. It was Reservoir okay. Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't, I mean, I, I'm sure I'd seen him in other things at the time, but that was the big one. You know, Reservoir Dogs was the one we, I was a film student, you know, Hey, you got to watch I, those movies a lot. Cause here's the thing. When you told your story, you didn't give me a, a time reference to know when this happened. So I had to ask. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is early on in my comic book career. Um, ah. yeah. So about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, actually 11, might have been around the time. He might have even had already shot this movie. I don't know. About 10 years ago, though. So. Okay. So anyway, uh, this movie has a 0% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? It does. According mm. to Wikipedia. I mean, maybe I should look it up real quick on. Uh, I was going to say, I think it's a little bit higher than that. But Let's take a look here. I know on IMDb is higher than that. Rotten Tomatoes, uh, 27% audience score and 0% critic score. Welcome to Christian cinema, everybody. <laughs> Lowered expectations. Oh, man, I haven't heard that little ditty in a long time. <laughs> it's a running joke in my band. Oh, OK. Uh, yeah. So anyway. What'd you think? <laughs> what did I think? Um, well, this one I read the book prior to, and I think I probably would have enjoyed it more if I would have seen it before I read the book. Um, I love the fact that Michael Madsen's in it, and every scene he's in makes it better. You want to talk about chewing scenery? <laughs> oh, well, that okay. There's certain there's certain actors who have a certain acting style that all they can do is chew scenery. You know, Anthony Hopkins is one of them. Uh, Robin Williams was one of them. Uh, Michael Madsen's another one. I mean, even when he's trying to play a subtle part like like Bud in the Kill Bill movies, he's still going to end up chewing that scenery just because that dude just oozes charisma. Uh, So that being said, um, you know, every scene he's in was great. Um, And then Bill Mosley, I thought was fabulous in this movie. He played, uh, he played Stuart, the older guy who was in the house. Um, And one thing I didn't notice, I did not know until I looked it up last night. Um, Lou Temple, who plays, uh, who plays, uh, Pete, their son in this movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
that was Lou Temple. And I did not know that because every I know I know who Lou Temple is. He's horror film royalty as well. And he's an old dude. And they whoever did the makeup did the makeup and uh, dressing in this movie did a very good job at making Lou Temple look younger than Bill Mosley. Cause if I remember right, I think Lou Temple's probably older than Bill Mosley. So just throwing that out there. Uh, and also Lou Temple was in the visitation as well. Oh, he was. That, yeah. He was huh. the, uh, he was the, uh, younger dep. He was the, he was the uh, deputy to, uh, Brett Hinkle. Okay. So, just throwing that out there. Uh, but this movie, um, one thing when it comes to a lot of Christian media is that they're always trying to mimic, like in the music, they're always trying to mimic a kind of sound to make it sound similar to something that's popular in the secular realm. It's just, it's just one of the nasty truths of, of Christian media that whenever I try to, uh, whenever I try to re- make recommendations of music to people, they're like, well, what do they sound like? Mm-hmm. Or can you recommend a band that sounds like Metallica to me or something like that? And I think that, and this movie really kind of throws the vibes of it, it's, it's kind of crossing two different, two different, uh, horror films with me. It, it's kind of in the, tor- in the beginning of it, it's really throwing off some, uh, original Texas Chainsaw Massacre with the yeah, real, yeah. really strange backwoods family at, at dinner scene. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And, the, and then uh, further on, especially when they get down into the basement, it starts to remind me of the second Hellraiser movie uh, when they go into where the Cenobites come from. Or if you want to call it hell, you can, but I don't think that was really what the Hellraiser movies had in mind that were, that was where the Cenobites were from. Yeah. I thought there was also, they were also throwing some ring vibes out there. With, I, I can with see the girl. That. They, um, they, re- they really wanted to, they really wanted to capitalize on the whole, uh, Japanese horror movement that was going on at the time for sure. But instead bringing in a wasp, you know, version of it, you know, where it's just this young white girl with long right. hair, you know, who's creepy and, um, and, and I don't want to get too much into spoilers with this, but we might, we might not be able to avoid it. So we will definitely say if we're, we're getting into spoilers with it, but, um, oh, I'm, 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 I am going to be talking in depth about the end of this movie okay. and why, right. why it made me mad when I saw it. Well, I think we're gonna have some similar, similar thoughts there, but, um, I, I, I probably liked three, the most of the three of these, and this is probably my second favorite of, of the three of these, um, and just in the performances, the the cinematography that you had going on, um, there were some tense moments where I was feeling some tension and and just wondering, okay, so where is this going? What is this doing? Um, the other thing that I feel like they were throwing out a vibe for was there's a little bit of shining in this movie, a, a little bit. Um, I can see that. And and again, that's where I take issue with the title, you know. It, yeah, it's technically a house. These people live there, but it's it's really more, you know, there there's a there's a welcome desk with a bell and a and a book to sign in. And you know, it, it this this movie is probably also the most tropey of the movies. Oh, absolutely. You know, with with just the the not it's not a haunted house, it's not a haunted hotel, um but it kind of is, but it 
you know, but they, there's people getting lost in the woods and coming to the one place that they find that should be a welcoming place. And it doesn't look welcoming though, but then the people in there are kind of welcoming, but they're really off, you know, <laughs> and, and that dinner scene, it was, it was awkward and it was, there's some, a lot of good, they're building the tension. Well, um, if you want, if you want a really good demonstration of the word uncomfortable, <laughs> yeah, this, that scene will make you feel incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And it just for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, one of them being just that the, the son and I want to marry you. <laughs> and it's just kind of, and you know what he's actually saying. Right. You know, and then, the, and, the, and then, uh, and, the, and the and lady then, knows. Yeah. And then Stuart, Stuart, when he walks in and they just got done asking if she's married to the guy she's there with. And he's like, she's like, not yet. And he's like, you're going to, you're going to violate your woman in one of my rooms. Yeah. And it's I'm just like, oh my gosh, who says that? Well, people from this weird family that live in this weird place that right. is, you know, not haunted, but is, is definitely occupied by this spiritual entity thing. Uh, they did have me though. I thought, Hey, this is a little spoilery. You put Michael Madsen as a character, you know, even though he's wearing a, a cop uniform, he's going to be the bad guy. But then, <laughs> but then I'm like, well, wait, maybe he's not. I mean, he disappeared. He's in the first scene and in the last scenes, but, but yeah, he's, he's the bad guy. <laughs> Well, okay. it, it's it's like it's like uh, anytime you're watching like Law and Order or uh, or uh, CSI or whatever, whenever you're looking at the guest star list on there, if there's ever any a, a big name on there, you're like, that's the bad guy. Yeah. Right there. Or if not the bad guy, the victim. Right. You know, so. Yeah, but the they're the bad guy because they get to have the big performance. You know, and have that moment where they reveal everything. And have the emotional explosion, the emotional vomit that comes with why they did their crime. And so that's why Robin Williams is on Law and Order. He got to act, you know, and Robin Williams was on Law and Order. I'm pretty sure it was Law and Order. Wow. It was one of those shows. I'm pretty sure it's Law and Order. So you have this house, this place. It's bad. And they find out that there's some they've by coming, they have brought him and him is uh, the Tin Man, which I like. I like the idea of this concept of the bad guys called the Tin Man. And why? Because he has no heart. Uh, well, it's because uh, he wears a tin mask, but uh, I can see what you're I, I, thematically. I can see what you're, he's, you know, he has no heart. He has no no soul. Uh, but they're, they're in this place. Now they're trapped in this place. He's outside and he's trying to get in and you have the weird couple and they get thrown a tin can that has a message on it that says, uh, if you kill someone and give me a dead body by the, by sunrise, I'll let everyone else live. Otherwise you're all going to die. You don't remember the house rules, Ben, the house rules. That's yeah, what, that's what was. That it was, was three was rules. On, yeah, three rules, and and one of them was kill someone by sundown. The other one was 
No, house rules. House rules. Rule God two came was to my house. Yeah, God go came to my house and I killed God. Rule two, I kill anybody who comes into my house. And then rule three, give me a dead body by, by sunrise, sunrise and yeah. I'll let the other two slide. Yeah. So then it becomes uh, who's going to kill who and it becomes people start seeing visions of their sins, uh, things that they did that they should feel guilty for and all of them involve death. So one woman, she killed her abuser. Uh, the boy, the, the man, uh, her boyfriend killed his father. Uh, and then the couple who are there, <laughs> remember how I said three was a, um, about homeschooling. Right. Uh, okay. So this is about, um, marriage counseling. Like this is ultimate, <laughs> ultimate marriage counseling. So they, by the end of the movie, their marriage is, is going to be fine. They're, they're going to be just fine. They're, they've gone through this together. They survived this together and they are going to, uh, continue, uh, together. They're going to stick together. Don't, well, got, to be, don't got to worry about them. Well, to be fair, it also helped that they had a Christophany tell them that their daughter's safe and still loves them. Right. And they both were blaming themselves and each other uh, about, because there was a tragic accident, you know, and and this is where the, the shining vibe came from the fact that the he's a writer and he was writing and telling her, you know, leave me alone. Your mom will take you to go ice skating. And then as he's writing, the message starts coming up. Uh, so he's watching himself write and he's watching himself in this vision. And it says, she killed Samantha. You must kill her over and over again. Similar to, you know, all work and no play makes Jack a, a, a dull boy. It just, that's, that's the feeling I was getting. I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can understand the riffing on that. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, she's a singer and she was talking to her agent on the phone when this happened. And so now you're getting another thing that went to the shining for me was the water that was happening, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, where you have this, this floods of water coming in. And at first I'm just like, why water? Like that's not at all scary. You got water coming in under the doorway. That's just a, that's a, that's a home improvement problem. You know, like that's not a, that's not that's a horror trope, sir. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then it's because of the drowning that it happened. Right. And, uh, so anyway, you got Samantha, who is this weird, strange girl that is she someone you can trust or is she a part of this family? How does she fit into all this? Because the family, you can't trust them. They're killers. They're uh, they're going to kill someone. They got guns. They got axes. <laughs> they're going to. Well they're gonna freeze the family they're gonna freeze their guests out so that we'll get we'll get four dead bodies by the, by sundown by putting you in the freezer well technically the the people who are there actually kill them a couple times in the, throughout the movie um in one uh, one the first time being in the actual freezer when they're struck when they're fighting to get out and then when the smoke came out of them anytime they got an injury yeah yeah i mean they there was something supernatural with the family Right. Um, but when the smoke came out of him, did you have lost flashbacks like I did? I did. Yeah. The smoke monster. The, the smoke monster. I, I, every time I saw every time I saw that, I started thinking about Steve singing you all, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Was that Steve or was that me? 
Because I used to sing that song a lot. Just the, in regular life, I used to sing that well, song a lot. It, it, it was it was a, that that's that's a reference to your guys's podcast you did prior to Strangers and Aliens mm. with with not Doctor Jace. I can't remember the th- the third guy's name. Uh, Jeremy. Uh, but it was the uh, phone message that the oh. fake phone message that Steve was leaving you about. It's over. Those were both me. Oh, that was you. I thought it was Steve that did. No, that, that. was me. Yeah. Ben, <laughs> it's Lou. Lou Bitterman. That's right. That's right. That's right. Can you help me out here? I'm trapped under the books that I bought because I was trying to read everything lost referenced. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, last night I just kept picturing. For some reason, I was picturing Steve singing it. So there's there's that. I, I had to, I, apparently I had to find a way to get Steve involved in this episode because mm-hmm. I felt bad because I couldn't send him these movies. Yeah, because he's so far. He's so far away. But... Yeah. OK, so. I guess we're going to spoil things now and let's jump to the ending of this movie. Let's talk about some of the theme stuff that's going on, but we're going to spoil house now. And so I, I, do you recommend people watch this movie? Um, I will put it to you like this. Um, I will recommend it based on you're a like you're anybody who's like me, who's a Christian who enjoys horror films and bizarre imagery. Um, and would prefer to have some sort of a, uh, some way to consume it with a Christian theme to it. Then and yes, and off kilter performances. That's the other, right. there's a real strong performance side to this, especially with the, the bad guys. Right. Cause the, the villains in this movie do the best. The, the scenes with the villains are by far the best scenes in this movie, especially with the, with the crazy TCM family. Um, what I would uh, so I would recommend it on that ground. If you're someone who's just asking, "Hey, I need an introduction to horror," or I need I would like a good Christian movie, I would probably direct you elsewhere. But you know, if you fall into that niche, that's like, like I love horror. I want a Christian alternative that has the really bizarre imagery in it. Then I would say this one's probably the one you're going to want to watch. Okay, I would agree, uh, and. If they had ended this movie five minutes earlier, I would recommend this as as my favorite of the three. Okay, we're gonna we're we're gonna get into that ending now. We have to. We have to. So, spoiler warning. But when the movie, the final climax happens, I'm willing to go with it. It's standard good versus evil. It's light versus darkness, and I really appreciated the the visual of the light and the visual of the light versus the cloud monster, the smoke monster of the dark. Uh, that was, that was interesting. I didn't like the fact that those two characters just kind of stood in front of the light and it wrapped like came out from behind them. Like they should have been a little more active is all I'm saying. I would like them to be more active in, in the climax. Uh, and that was a problem for me is that they didn't do anything as a part of that climax other than touch the light um, but then they held hands, you know, they, they were together in that last moment, marriage counseling achieved, they did it, you know? So if you're having trouble with your marriage, watch this movie, hold hands as someone dies at your feet with light pouring out of their wound well, and your marriage on. will be just fine. You missed a key step. Okay. The- if you're, if you're, if you're having trouble with your marriage, first thing you need to do is die in a horrific car accident. Okay. But we're, we're not there yet. though. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm talking about where I, I like this. And then, so he, bad guy, he explodes and the house is falling down. It's fall of house Vusher kind of thing. And I don't care if at the end the house is back and the bad guys are back. I can live with that. They run away and I'm just like, okay. And then it's sixth sense. It's <laughs> they get there and no one sees them at the crash site and all of the the police are there and the rescue workers are there and <laughs> they were dead the whole time. They look down. There's, there's the other couple. They're dead. There is some interesting elements here where they're talking about things that were true about that couple that they shouldn't have known. They should not have known in there. If this didn't happen, they shouldn't have known that these, this couple owned some hotels, you know, right. and then they walk over and they're standing by their own dead bodies. And then they're in their own dead bodies. And then their dead bodies aren't dead anymore. To be to be fair. To be fair, they do hint at this earlier on in the movie at one point. And, and if you bl- it's one of those if you blink, you'll miss it sort of things. When uh when uh, Randy and Jack go down into the basement for the first time and they're trying to find a, they're trying to find the guns down there. And Jack sees that mirror and he's like, it's a mirror, but there's no reflection. And Randy's like, ah, oh, it's just a trick mirror. And he's oh, like, no, yeah, not. yeah. Because they never did anything with that to show up as a magic mirror. Right. Yeah. OK. I mean, the whole thing is just magic. I mean, the whole thing is happening in a spirit realm. Right. I mean, if you if you really. If you, if you really want to think about it, I mean, the house that they're in is kind of like uh, you can kind of think of it as an allegory for hell because, I mean, they are being forced to look at their sin and admit that they're all guilty and they deserve to be there. Yeah, I would look at it more as allegory for your soul, though. Again, I, I think it's more about like they're in this house. It's you. You know, and you have to face these things and you right. have to decide how is this going to work. And it's pushing you pushing you toward that evil nature. You've got to kill someone. And you have a tense scene at the end where they're all around a table. You could still kill someone. You could still do it. You're going to have to do it or you're going to die, you know, and you've got two people who are like, kill him, kill him. And then you've got the other two people who are like, no, no. And then you have Samantha who becomes this kind of Christ figure. Susan. Uh, yeah. Susan. Samantha was the other movie. <laughs> um, who becomes kind of this Christ figure. And, and she's like, uh, you know, I'm going to, she dies for them, you know? And at the end they wake up, they stand up and they look over and there's, there's Susan watching them. You know, I don't know if they see her, but she sees them. And then they do see as the ambulance is driving away, the house is still there. And Michael Madsen is alive and well and standing behind that sign posing for a real estate uh, sales picture or something like that. Right. um, And the three people from the family are up in the window. You know, when the movie ended, when the movie ended last night, the one, the, the one thing I wrote down in my, in my notes here is Susan equals Aslan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but okay. Here's my issue. I mean, I, corniness aside of this ending, it was still, it was still a better ending in my opinion than how the visitation ended because I mean, it was just the one thing in the, at the end of the visitation that was just so corny that just, it's just like, ah, you guys could have done better. This one, it was par for the course with how, for how the movie was. But like I said, I read the book before I saw this movie 
And I will tell you this much, the message the message that was in the book got subverted so badly in oh, this really? movie. Huh. Oh, so badly. Um, at, because the whole concept of Susan being a Christophany in this book is so prevalent in the, in, in the book rather. Uh, and so understated in this movie, it, it's, it was almost offensive when I first saw this because at the, at the end of the book, when Susan dies, um, Jack's wife, I can't remember that character's name, but they, they go, they rush to her and they're literally like, they don't just sit there and stare at her. They're mourning over her because she was such a strong, she was such an integral character in the book and they're mourning over her. But it's at that point that Jack's wife gets it and she's like literally crying out to the son of God, basically, at the end of the Mm -hmm. book. And it's by that means that the light comes in and it's a very direct, you need Jesus to be saved from the, from your sin, the consequences of your sin, basically. And it's a very, it's a very, it's a very strong message in the book. And it just, at the end of this movie, it's just like, uh, you're all guilty and someone died. <laughs> yeah. I, I did get the Aslan though. I mean, she died for them and it took a long time for her to fall. And actually she, uh, you know. she fell and then came back up a little bit and fell some more and fell again because <laughs> they use the same shot of her when she first starts to fall. But I'm so um, glad I'm not the only person who noticed yeah, that that yeah. bugs me too. I'm like, Oh, that's just, that's just lazy filmmaking right there. It's, it was <laughs> tough editing though. I, I wouldn't say lazy filmmaking. I'd say maybe lazy shooting and, and difficult editing. Like the editor was just like, Oh, what do I do? Oh man. It's just the pacing. Oh, what do I do? Well, Got nothing else to do. Going to have to do this. So, yeah, um, I just uh, the good thing about the ending was at least when they woke up, it wasn't the whole it's all a dream. It actually had real stakes in their life and actually pushed them in their life. I would assume based on the way that the ending flowed, pushed them in their life to be better people and to be better spouses and to, you know, like this. This was a spiritual event for them that had real stakes. And so I'm glad for that. Um, But I was a little bit angry when I was like, they were dead the whole time. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. All right. So, but yeah, the, the two Peretti books that for these movies would be the ones I'd say you really, if you find yourself with an opportunity to read them, you should. Because if you enjoyed the if you enjoyed the movies, you'll enjoy the books probably about 10 times more. than You enjoyed the movies. I promise that I'll definitely put a house in my in my stack, but I still have to finish The Outsider by by King. Um, And that's a huge book that I just haven't had a chance to to crack open very much. So For, for as much as I love Stephen King, I will say this. I find myself being very, very guarded as far as what I'll allow myself to read from him. Uh, basically because of the book it, which, which I will not touch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I loved the story to it, but there is a scene in that. If you're not, if you don't know about it, I'm not going to say it because it's a very graphic scene that I found and very you know, troubling in its, yeah. in what it is. Yeah. 
Uh, although, and, a lot, I mean, you can say troubling a lot for for Stephen King, but but this is this is troubling in a. I felt like I, yeah. I felt like I needed to take a shower and pour bleach into my ears so I could clean my brain, <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah, uh, we're not talking about Stephen King though. We're talking about no. Frank Peretti, Ted Decker, and it is time for us to to close this episode down. So I I really want to say thank you, John. I mean, we've talked about different ways of. Uh, getting some extra horror kind of stuff into the podcast. Uh, we had an idea last year that just never came to fruition, but this one was a great idea and I really appreciate it. I'm glad you were able to come on and talk about it. Um, and so I do want you, we've already talked about supersonic pod comics, but you have another podcast, right? Yeah, but it's, it's fairly locally based. Most people wouldn't be too, too interested in it. Um, but there, I did mention that I am in a band. Uh, I am in a uh, band called burning clean. You can look us up on Facebook and we have a music video on YouTube. So if you want to find that it's, uh, look up AMA, A M M A by burning clean. It's a song that we wrote about the missionary, Amy Carlisle. So it's a, it's one people seem to like, so that's that. And I really would plug the supersonic pod comics because that's good stuff right there. Very good. All right. Thank you again. Really appreciate it, man. This yeah, was, sure. This was a lot of fun and gave me something different that I wouldn't have gone to on my own as I am doing my, my October Halloween viewing. So appreciate yeah. it. And to everyone else, appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully you've gotten maybe a couple book reading uh, recommendations here or not. And you've decided, nope, not going to touch it. But uh, either way, thank you for listening. And as always, Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Evan David, Steve McDonald, and Dr. Jason Neal. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com, where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter, where we are at Strange and Alien, or liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangersandaliens. Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is 1-804-37-ALIEN. And once again, thanks for listening. Three non non eschatological eschatological yeah eschatological that, that, horror.